Father, we thank you uh, again for the Lord's Day. Thank you for the privilege of meeting together, of worshiping you. We thank you for the instruction that you give us in our Christian faith and life. And we do pray for your blessing upon us now uh, as we uh, consider uh, some important things. We pray that you would uh, give us clear minds, give us humble hearts, and uh, we do ask that you would continue to build us up as your faithful servants. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, okay, I was, uh, I don't know, when was it? Uh, a very short time, a relatively short time ago, asked if I would uh, do uh, the, the Sunday school. It wasn't like this morning, but it was, you know, I... I wasn't going to, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare you a very, very special message, I, but I thought that uh, since it's um, Reformation Day uh, coming up very soon, that uh, maybe one of the Reformation solas would be uh, a good topic, and uh, I was told that, yes, that would be certainly very appropriate to do that. So, uh, how about sola fide? I hope that's okay, because those are the notes that I brought. Um, <laughs> Okay, I like that. I like that attitude. Uh, all right, For, if, if, if there's uh, someone here who doesn't know what I'm talking about with uh, the Reformation uh, solas, the, at the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, uh, there were these uh, important reforms in theology and uh, in the life of the church. And one of the ways that later... Protestant Christians, as they were looking back at the Reformation, one of the ways they tried to summarize the theology of the Reformation was by these five slogans uh, that use the, term, the, the, the terminology of sola. Sola is just a Latin word that means alone or only. So we summarize the Reformation message as saying that uh, uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone is our final authority. Everything must answer back to scripture. Uh, sola, uh, solus Christus, Christ alone, Christ alone is our savior. Christ alone is our all-sufficient mediator. Uh, sola gratia, which is grace alone. That's by uh, grace, uh, not, by, uh, not by the law that we are, that we are saved. Uh, sola fide is faith alone. It's by faith uh, alone, not by the works uh, of our own hands that we are right with God. And then finally, anyone know what the last one is? Soli Deo Gloria, uh, which is God's glory alone, that all glory uh, be belongs uh, to the Lord. He has made all things. He is the only Redeemer He's the one who's bringing history to its appointed end. Uh, all glory belongs to him. So, uh, I want to look with you at sola fide, uh, faith alone. Now, if you think about it in terms of, if you look at the solas in the order that I just listed them, and there's no, I mean, you could list them in different order, but if you think about it in the order that I just did, sola scriptura, solus Christus, uh, sola uh, gratia. You see, these are all, whether it's scripture or Christ or grace, it's referring to God's gifts to us. Right? Scripture is God's word to us. Christ is, uh, he's the son of God given for us. Uh, God's grace is, uh, a, is a gift, uh, which is to us. When we think about faith, uh, faith is something that we do. Right? Now, we, 
It's by God's grace that we will believe. We're not going to believe because we're so righteous. God's grace has to uh, work that faith, faith in us. But actually, faith is something we do. We're the one who believes. Uh, and so when we think about sola fide, uh, we're, we're now turning to saying, okay, what is, what is our proper response to Christ and the gospel as it comes to us? And the response of the Reformation is faith alone. Uh, faith alone. So we want to think about, okay, what is faith and what does it mean to say faith alone? All right. Uh, let, me, let me begin by, by thinking with you about what is faith? And maybe, maybe that strikes you as a really obvious question, but it's important to recognize that when the Protestant reformers were talking about faith alone, uh, it, let me put it this way, when they were talking about justification by faith alone, it wasn't just that they had a difference with the Roman Catholics about what justification is. They also had differences about what faith is. Right? So it's not, it hasn't been entirely clear or obvious uh, or there hasn't been broad agreement among all Christians through history about what exactly we mean by faith. All right, how, does, how did and how does the Roman Catholic Church understand faith? I want to start there. Uh, in traditional Roman Catholic theology, uh, faith usually indicates uh, a, a mode of knowledge, a way of knowing. Right. So when, when Roman Catholics are comparing faith with something else, faith and what? Roman Catholics say faith and reason. Faith and reason. All right, so why? Well, because they, they, they think of faith and reason as two ways of coming to know. Uh, for Rome, traditionally, reason refers to how we know things naturally. Right? How do we learn the things of this world? Uh, how do we gain knowledge from things that are available to us in our ordinary experience? Well, it's through reason. Right? So through our, through our natural reason, we can come to know a, a lot of things. What they would say about faith is, faith is a different way of coming to know things. Faith is how you come to know things that are revealed to you specially by God. All right, so if you, for Roma, if, 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 if you want to learn chemistry, you're going to have to, it, it, that, that's going to be by reason, by reason as you are working with the things of this world. But if you want to know, say, that God is a, is, is a, is, is, is a trinity and that salvation comes by Christ, well, that, that's only by faith. You can't reason your way to that kind of knowledge. God has to come to you and, and, and specially reveal that to you through scripture or through the church. Right? So faith and reason, you see, are two different kinds of, of uh, ways of coming to know. Just to put it really simply, faith is based on God's special revelation, but reason is not. Reason works with the things that, are, are, that we can naturally know in this world. Okay, so if you, if you keep that in mind, if you're a Roman Catholic and you hear someone say to you, we're justified by faith alone, by faith alone 
How do you hear that? You hear that as, I'm justified, I'm made right with God by the right kind of knowledge, by coming to know the right sort of things. Now, if you just think of it that way, does that sound like a sufficient way of describing how we're right with God? Just by knowing the right things. If that's your view of faith, you can understand why Roman Catholics might think this doesn't sound right. Okay, so so, uh, what Rome said instead was, well, we're justified by faith and love. Faith and love working together. By faith, we know the right things, and by love, we, we do the right things. And so justification is, is, is by faith, formed by love. Now, that's not right. Biblically speaking, from a Reformed perspective, um, but I hope you can see, at least I want you to see right now that if you don't get faith correctly, if you don't understand what faith is, if you think faith is simply a way of knowing you can understand why justification by faith alone wouldn't quite make sense. So hold on to that for a moment, and now I want to turn to what what, what the Reformation said uh, to try to correct this, uh, to try to bring greater biblical clarity uh, to this this issue. Okay, so I said for for Roman Catholics traditionally, you say faith and what? And it's faith and reason. Two ways of knowing. Now, for Protestants, when you hear Protestants say faith and something, what's the other word? Faith and, or, faith or works. Faith or works. That's usually how we hear about it. Are we saved by faith or by works? So where Roman Catholics usually say faith or reason. How do we know things? Faith by faith or by reason. When Protestants say faith and, they usually say faith and works. And these are sort of two ways by which we might be right with God. It's a different question. You see that? For Rome, it's how do we know things? Faith or reason. For the Reformation, it's how are we right with God? Faith or works? Now, what did, what did the Reformation, we'll think specifically about Reformed, uh, Reformed theologians, Reformed uh, churches, uh, what did they mean then by faith? What is faith in these terms. Well, Reformed theology has traditionally identified three aspects of true faith. As, as Reformed theologians looked at Scripture and tried to understand, okay, what, what exactly is this faith by which we're saved? And they said this true faith has three aspects to it. And they had, they had these Latin titles for it. Uh, I won't try to tell you the Latin titles. The uh, uh, in, in English, the, the first one is, uh, is knowledge. There is a knowledge aspect of faith. Right? You can't have faith in Christ if you don't know who Christ is. You can't, have, you can't believe the gospel if you don't know what the gospel is. So there has to be this intellectual aspect. You have to know certain things. So there's, a, there's an aspect of knowledge. Secondly, uh, the uh, Reformed, uh, Reformed theologians have spoken about assent. Assent. Uh, A-S-S-E-N-T. Not assent like you're going to climb a mountain, but assent as in, I agree with that. So it, it, it's not enough just to know, just to know who Christ is, or just to know what the gospel message is. 
but you have to assent to it. You have to say, that's true. <laughs> I think that's right. So that's a second aspect. And then the third aspect uh, is, is trust. And this is where, the, uh, where Reformed theologians, Reformed churches have usually believed this is the heart of what true faith is. Right? It's not just that you know the facts. It's not even that you believe the facts are true. You might say that the devil has faith in the first two aspects. Right? He knows the gospel, and he knows it's true. But the devil doesn't have trust. Right? And, and this really gets to the heart of it. It's trust. It, it's, it's not just in the brain, but it's in the heart. Uh, it's from the heart. You need to, you rest on Christ. You flee to Christ for refuge. You stake your life upon him. That's trust. All right? that is, that's the third. So, so knowledge, assent, and trust. That's really, that is, that's what true faith is. All right, now, let me say a couple other things about the Reformed view of faith. When the Reformed and other Protestants talk about being saved by faith alone, what they've usually meant by that, or the main focus there, is what they sometimes call special faith in distinction from general faith. So the, the, let, me, let me describe that difference. They're, they're really they're, they're two, two parts of the same faith. They're not two different kinds of faith. But a general faith, uh, that usually refers to this, the kind of faith you have in Scripture. Like, you believe that what Scripture tells you is true. Right? You, you, you rest upon Scripture. You don't always understand it fully, but we... We believe that if, if Scripture tells us this is true about God or true about ourselves or true about the world, we believe that. Uh, and we believe that whatever God, whatever God says, we are going to put our trust in him. All right, so that's a general trust. That's very important. There's no saving faith without that. But the Reformed have also said that when we're talking about saving faith, again, that the heart of things is the special reliance on Christ for salvation, right? Faith is not just a general, it's not just a general conviction that whatever I find in this book is true. That's important, but it goes much beyond that. It's not so much a faith in a book or something. It is a faith in a person. It is resting in a person and what he has done for us. So our faith really, it hones in on that. Uh, and I'd like to, I, I, I could illustrate this for a moment from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14. All right, so this, this church, in, in the United Reformed Churches, your confessional documents are the Heidelberg Catechism, Belgian Confession, Canons of Dort. If you go to your sister Presbyterian churches, like the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, in which uh, I'm a minister, uh, we, we have the Westminster Confession of faith and the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechisms. And, and the doctrine of these documents is the same. It's just they were written at different times and places. So I want to share something with you from Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14, uh, section 2. So Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14, section 2, it begins, it, it, it's describing saving faith. And it begins by saying that uh, by faith... 
a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word. Is that the general faith or the special faith that I was just talking about? It's the general faith. So it begins by saying, by faith the scripture believes, oh, how did I put it? Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word. But notice the way chapter 14.2 concludes. That's how it concludes. It says, but the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Okay, so it's, yes, we believe everything in Scripture, but especially we believe Christ. We rest in him, we receive him, we accept him, we, we rest on him uh, for everything. All right? Uh, let me, I think just... Uh, let me mention one other aspect of this saving faith as, as the Reformation, as Reformed theologians have, have understood it. Uh, this saving faith is, an, and this is a made-up word, okay? Our, our, our saving faith is extrospective. Right, now, you've heard of int, introspective, right? That, that, that's a real word. Some of you may be introspective. We probably all should be introspective at least some of the time. Right? That means you look, you look inside, Right? You kind of take account of yourself. Right? So extrospective means looking outside of yourself. And you see, as, as some Reformed theologians have tried to explain what faith is, it has, they've said, faith is extrospective. This is the genius of faith. It looks outside of ourselves. Right? It, it rests upon someone else. You're not, you're not looking at yourself in faith. If you're looking at yourself, it's not faith. Right? Faith is looking at Christ. It's resting in him. It's accepting him, receiving him. All right, so you can, if you want to write that into your computer, you can fool your, fool your spell checker with the, the term extrospective. Um, all right, so let me, let me pose a question to you. Um, did Jesus have faith? Anyone want to take a shot at that one? I, 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 see, I see some people's heads moving a little bit. and then, Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Now, uh, yes, okay. These are all really good points. This is actually not as easy a question. Like, this is, it's not an immediately obvious question. Now, yeah, all of you are making good observations. So how to put all this together? Here, here's what I would say. Did Jesus have saving faith the way that the Westminster Confession of Faith just described it? Did Jesus receive, accept, and, what, receive, accept, and rest upon Christ alone? For just like what exactly does that mean? Jesus didn't have to rest on Jesus alone, right? Okay, think about it. Extrospective faith is is looking outside of ourselves and resting on someone else. Now, did Jesus need to rest on someone else for his salvation? Well, I mean, not really, because he was perfect himself, right? When you think about it, right? I mean, he. Why do we need to rest on someone else for salvation? Because we can't do it ourselves. Because we're sinful, right? 
Jesus didn't have to rest on someone else. He was himself perfectly righteous. Now, so in a way, I would say Jesus didn't have, didn't have saving faith. Um, and that wasn't, that's not being critical of him. In fact, that's, that's recognizing how great he is. He didn't need to rest on someone else. Now, on the other hand, we do read in the Gospels that he, he did trust in his father, didn't he? He did cry out to his father for help, right? So I think we can say, did Jesus have general, the kind of general faith? Did he believe that everything that's revealed in the word of God is true? Yeah, he did do that. Did he trust in his heavenly father that he would protect him and care for him and rescue him from his enemies? Yes, he did have that kind of. So he had faith in a sense. He had a kind of a general faith in his father, but he didn't need saving faith. He didn't need to rest on someone else's work of atonement uh, in order for him, uh, for, you know, for him to, you know, to be exalted and um, to be commended by his father. Um, anyone want to? Anyone want to follow up on that? Or I'll just pause here. Any questions on any of um, any of this description of faith? I haven't. I, I do want to turn to scripture and, and to look at some things in scripture uh, momentarily. But any want to follow up? Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. I can't add much to that. You know, one way you might look at it is, you know, we, we say, you know, we're saved by faith, not by works. But that's not, that's not entirely accurate, is it? I mean, we are actually saved by Christ's works. Right? We believe Christ worked. It would be better to say it vice versa. Christ worked, and we believe. And that's what faith is. It's it's resting on him. And, you know, part of his perfect righteousness was trusting his father. It was believing that God's word was true. Um, But um, yet he he did all of that perfectly so that we might rest in him. Uh, There's a, yeah. That is interesting, isn't it? That that Jesus prays so much. Yeah, it's um, it's a yeah, it's a very humbling thing for us when we think about sometimes our own unfaithfulness in prayer. You think Jesus really didn't need to pray, did he? I mean, couldn't he just take care of things himself? I mean, he was God; he's true God. So why couldn't he just do it? And yet we see him as as the true as the true man. Um, but even, you know, as son, I mean, there's this, he had this fellowship with the Father. And I think that's, that's an important thing to remember for our prayer. Our prayer is not just asking things from God. You know, I, I've got a problem, I need to pray so God will help me. It's, it's a fellowship, it's a communion with God. Oh, you know, you don't, you don't really, what good does it do to have a friend if you never communicate with a friend, right? If you have a friend, you communicate. And that's, so we, 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 see, uh, we see Christ doing that. And I think we do see part of his, this, Reliance, this kind of general trust this, that, that, that Christ had in his Father. He didn't, he didn't need to pray all of the Lord's Prayer, did he? He didn't, he didn't need to pray, Father, forgive us. Forgive us my debts as I forgive my debtors. He didn't need to pray that. Um, but he did pray. 
yes, sir. And, and then Bob. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, in part, that's true. I mean, I, I, I do want to go through some biblical texts that I think will bring will, will bring these dimensions of faith out. Uh, but they were they they ordinarily. Ordinarily, what Reformed theologians have said is that the that first aspect of faith, the uh, that knowledge, that that that's that's really uh, intellectual uh, because we are made of intellect, but that the assent and especially the the trust that that's actually will. That's that's not so much our intellect uh, as our will. So I think there was definitely a kind of a, a consciousness, a, a a sort of generally accepted idea that. We have, we have multiple aspects of our being and that faith actually relates to those different aspects. Yeah, that, that, that faith is not just limited to one, like the intellectual aspects. So getting back to Rome, Rome thought of faith in intellectual terms and part of what the Reformation said, no, it's actually, it's, it's the will as well as the intellect. It's the heart as well as the brain. Yeah. Oh, Bob, yeah. And then, of course, faith is a gift. Yes, that... Is a gift. That's right. So, so here again, we we want to be nuanced. So, you know, who believes? Does God believe in Jesus for salvation, or does Bob Hannibal believe in Jesus for salvation? You believe in Him, but you believe it only because the Spirit has worked in you. He has opened your heart. He has given you the the mind and the will in order to do that. So, we want to say that we want to maintain the fact that we are the ones who are believing. And yet, it's, we only believe because God has so graciously empowered us, enabled us to do it. That's right. Yeah, yeah just a reminder for all of us, and the Westminster standards are great, but in Heidelberg Questions and Answer 21, what is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge of which I hope is true, all that God has revealed to us in his word, so more general. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a great example of how the theology of the Heidelberg Catechism and the theology of the Westminster Confession is the same. You know, you got, it's that general trust in God's word, and yet it focuses in upon Christ and what he has done, and I think that illustrates that really nicely. So, yes, thank you. Okay, um, let me say a few things. Okay, so where do we see Scripture talk about this faith? And so this is, in a way, it's answering the question, you know, why exactly... Uh, why is this a better understanding of faith in the Roman Catholic idea of faith as knowledge, uh, a way of knowing? Um, and what about general, this general trust and this uh, uh, specific uh, faith in Christ? Um, let me... Uh, 
you might think, where do, does Scripture speak about a, about a general trust? Um, kind of a general trust in God's Word. Uh, one place that comes to mind, I, I'm going to, in, uh, in, in Acts uh, 24, this is not in my notes, I, I don't remember the verse exactly, but you remember when, uh, on the day of resurrection, when Jesus was walking in the Emmaus Road with a couple of his disciples, and... Uh, I, I said Acts, didn't I? And I'm looking at Acts, but I'm, I meant to say Luke, of course. It's the same author, so you can excuse me uh, for that one. But yes, Luke 24, of course. Um, let's see. So on the, on the road to Emmaus, and um, so this is Luke 24, verse 25. Uh, and so these disciples are not, uh, they're not, they're not, they're not getting it, right? I mean, they're, they're, they don't understand that Jesus had to die and uh, to rise again. And he says, uh, Oh, foolish ones. This is uh, Luke 24, 25. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Right? It's, so this is really important. You, like, you have to believe in all that. You have to believe in God's word. A, a general trust in that what God says uh, uh, is true. All right, so I think that's an example of this general trust. Um, but that's not usually how Scripture speaks of faith. Usually it speaks of faith as particularly directed at Christ and his work. So um, anyone ever heard of John 3.16, for example, right? God so loved the world that he sent his Son so that everyone who believes in him you see, so often in the scriptures, it's believe in him. It's, it's directed at Christ. Not just a general trust, but it's a trust in Christ for salvation. Or John 3, verse 18. Um, Whosoever believes in him is not condemned. Right, so the faith, again, directed at, uh, at Christ. Uh, Acts 10, verse 43 just to give uh, another example of this. Acts 10, verse 43. Uh, to Christ, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Right, so this faith is directed in Christ, and you believe in him, and salvation uh, is yours. Right, now, what about... Okay, so that's, that's, there's a general faith and there's more, this more specific faith, a special faith in Christ. But what about this idea of faith as trust? Right? Not just knowing things, but also a trust. I want to point out a couple of texts. Uh, the first one is 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. Second Timothy 1, verse 12, this is what Paul says. I am not ashamed... For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I think about how Paul speaks there. First thing he says, I, I know whom I have believed. That kind of sounds like that first dimension of faith, doesn't it? I know. I, he has a certain kind of knowledge uh, about Christ, but you see, it certainly doesn't stop there. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard right, until that day. So there's, there's a conviction. Uh, it's not just in the head some facts, but 
you're convinced that this is true. And now I want you to consider also uh, the end of Romans 4, almost at the end of Romans 4. Romans 4, verses 20 and 21. I think this is my favorite text in terms of get kind of a description of uh, this faith as sort of this wholehearted trust going beyond just knowledge and assent. Uh, Romans 4 is, uh, the, the, whole, the whole chapter of Romans 4 is really about faith, uh, justification by faith uh, specifically, and Paul talks a lot about Abraham in this. And he holds out Abraham as the example of a man of faith. So in Romans 4, 20 and 21, Paul says, again, talking about Abraham, he says, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You see that there's there's a conviction here. There is... You think about specifically what, what Paul is talking about here. God had said to Abraham, you're going to have, you're going to have a son. Right. And the thing that made this kind of remarkable was what? Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah was 89 years old. Right. They've been married a really long time. They never had children. And God says, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to bring. And in fact, not, not only are you going to have a son, you're gonna, like, your descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. So... In terms of like earthly reason to believe what God was saying, what percentage? Earth, uh, zero, right? I mean, zero. He had absolutely no earthly reason to believe God. And yet, God said that to him, and he believed that. He, it says here, he, distrust did not make him waver. Right? Distrust is the opposite of what we're talking about here. He did not have a lack of trust in God, but instead, he grew strong in faith, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. He, uh, he relied upon that promise of God. Uh, he put his, uh, his conviction in him. It was more than just the head. Uh, it, was, uh, it was the heart. Anyone want to follow up on, on those texts? Those are just a few examples that I think illustrate some of the points that I've been trying to make. And it, it's texts like this that, um, that were important for the reformers as they were rethinking what faith is. And you see that faith is something that we, you actually, you stake your life on it. Um, think about, you know, Abraham actually, it made a difference for him, didn't it? I mean, he left his, he left his father's house. He left his homeland. He was actually going to sacrifice his son Isaac, the, 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 promise, the promised son, because he trusted the Lord. Uh, he staked his life on that. All right. All right, we have a, have a few more minutes here. Um, I think what might be helpful here, if we just have a couple of minutes, is to talk about uh, two things briefly. One is justification by faith, and then the fruits of faith. All right, when we, when we talk about faith, faith alone... In one sense, we're talking about our salvation generally. Right? We can say just generally we're saved by faith. Like everything, every aspect of our salvation, we recognize that we're trusting in God. Right? God is the one who, 
from first to last, God is the one who, gives, who saves us and preserves us. Uh, and yet when we think about faith alone, we often focus especially on justification uh, by faith alone. And when we say that, when we talk about justification, we're talking about God declaring us righteous. It's, uh, justification is not about our becoming righteous. It's not about your heart changing over time, although it should. That refers to sanctification. Justification is God declaring us righteous. And we're justified by faith alone. Sometimes Reformed theology has said that faith is the only instrument of justification. What does it mean by instrument? Maybe a little strange. I mean, instrument like flute, French horn. Um, what is an instrument? Yeah, it is. You might say it's that by which. I don't know if this, uh, why do we call a flute an instrument? Maybe it's, it's the instrument of making beautiful music, right? We don't actually pray, we don't praise the flute. I mean, we might say that that's a nice flute, but ultimately if we hear beautiful music from a flute, we say we, we praise the one who's playing it. We, we praise the flautist rather than the flute. The flute is just an instrument, right? You might say this is, uh, so faith is an instrument. It's that by which... We grasp Christ. It's that by which we receive his righteousness uh, credited uh, to us that we might stand uh, before uh, the, the Father. Uh, there are, of course, lots of texts that, uh, that speak of this. And this is why we usually, as, as Protestants, we talk about faith or works. How are we justified before God? Are we righteous before God be, through the means of our own works or by means of faith? Uh, I think my favorite text on this, uh, this is always nice when you don't have that much time, you can just talk about the text you really like. Um, Romans 4, 4 and 5. Um, this, is, uh, this is so, I mean, it's, it's very profound theologically, and yet Paul, he talks about something that we all know. I mean, he's using experience in this life that we all understand perfectly well. Let me just read Romans 4, 4, and 5 for a moment. We were just talking about Romans 4 earlier, this a little bit earlier in that chapter. Uh, Romans 4, 4, and 5. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. All right, now think about Romans about 4 verse 4 for a moment. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Does that resonate with you? It should. Right, if you have a job and you put in your time, right? You've, you, know, you put in your two weeks of work, you've done all that you're supposed to do. If your employer comes to you and says, you know what, I'm going to give you this check as, as a free gift out of my mercy. I'm so generous. You would say, yeah, right. You owe that to me, right? I worked for you. I put in the hours. I fulfilled my contractual obligation. That's what Paul's talking about, Romans 4, verse 4. It's something we all know. Right? 
to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Exactly. Is that how our salvation works? No. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes. Who is that describing? That's us, right? We come to God. We don't come as those who work. We come as those who believe. Who believe... The one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. That's who we are as believers. We're the ungodly. See, it's not about our works. It's not about what my hands have done. It's not about the virtues that I've been able to build up over the, over the years. God justifies the ungodly. His faith, it says, is counted as righteousness. All right, so it's, this, is, this is such a nice verse, I think, to capture this idea of faith alone. Right. It's not faith and. You don't come to the... It doesn't say, he who believes right, and works. It's he who believes... Right, how does it go? He who does not work but believes. Right. Not who works and believes. Who does not work and believe. That's faith alone. Anyone want to follow up on, on that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, w- I was sort of presuming that you're all good workers here in your ordinary occupations, and that uh, you all really deserve that check, uh, which may not always be the case. But, but you're, but you know, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, if that was, I mean, if all we had was Romans four verse four, I mean, we would know it, it would resonate. I mean, we would recognize the justice of it all. Right? You work. If you work, you get, you get your payment as the due. Yeah, we, we totally understand that. But if it's, if it's with reference to God that we're trying to live this out, then it's ultimately going to be a despair because, you know, we know we're never going to, you know, our, our works fall so far short. We're not the kind of workers that we ought to be before our Heavenly Father. Uh, and so it's, if you just have Romans 4 verse 4, it's bad news. Romans 4 verse 4 is not the gospel message. That's just, that's bad news. Uh, I mean, it, it sort of mirrors the, the way I like to put it to my students when I'm, I'm talking about some of these things. They, uh, you know, if, if the book of Romans ended with Romans 3, verse 20, Romans would be the most horrible book ever written. I mean, it, so you know, in, in, there are some really, you know, you, you, you do see the good news of the gospel right at the beginning of Romans uh, 1, but then Paul almost immediately goes into talking about our sin and God's judgment you know, Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And that's basically what Romans 4 verse 4 is saying. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and Romans, is, is, Romans turns from being the worst book ever written to being the greatest book ever written uh, because of verse, the transition in verse 21. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is really recapping that and explaining it in very vivid ways here in Romans 4, 4, and 5. Um, all right. I, I don't see any other hands. That's probably good because uh, we're basically out of time. So I was going to talk about the fruits of faith, but I won't do I'll just leave it at justification by faith alone, and there are worse ways to end a Sunday school class. <laughs> um, 
So uh, why, why don't I close in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this time we've had to consider these, uh, these things, these things that are so important for understanding the gospel, for understanding Christ, for understanding our Christian walk. Father, we know that it is not enough for us simply to know what faith is or even to know who Christ is. Uh, what you call us to do, O oh Lord, is to trust, uh, to trust in your word, to trust ultimately in Christ and in his perfect work for us to know that because he is perfectly righteous, because he has carried our heavy load, uh, that even though we are those who do not believe, or that we are those who do not work, we are those who are ungodly in ourselves, that as we trust in you, we stand perfectly right before you. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the Protestant Reformation and for the recapturing and reclarifying of these great truths. And we do pray that your gospel would continue to go forth and that you would give that gift of faith to so many people, even in our own day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.